The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So tonight I'd like to talk about renunciation and happiness. Those two words may not seem like they go together very well. <laughs> um, as I was thinking about this topic of renunciation yesterday, I, um, I looked up, you know, thinking about the word, and the word is not one that lands very well for us often. And so I was thinking about the word, and then I, I decided to look up the word because I wanted to get a sense of the meaning that we collectively in English uh, ascribe to the word. And um, you know, there's, there's a bunch of different definitions. There are actually synonyms. I was looking at synonyms for renounce. And um, the synonym I think that we associate, kind of, that, that the word evokes for us is repudiation. And repudiation, the definition of repudiation is to reject with condemnation. And that, um, I think, is a lot the flavor that we carry into the word renunciation. Something that, you know, when we renounce something, there's a way in which we're um, condemning it. But there's some other... um, Synonyms that are a little bit softer, and these are more in line with uh, uh, the word as I'd like to explore it this evening. Um, forego, surrender, abandon, sacrifice, give up, those kinds of words. So the word, as I said, you know, doesn't seem to have a very good reputation in our culture. And it's actually more than just our culture that it doesn't have a very good reputation. Um, the, in the, um, the Buddhist time, the, the word used, the Pali word used for renunciation, was intimately tied with renouncing sense pleasure. And this is the exploration I'd like to make tonight is to look at what it, what it would mean to renounce, forego, let's use other words, forego um, sense pleasure. And at the time of the Buddha, one of the householders who is a person like us, a lay practitioner, a person who was interested in the Buddhist teachings but lived a lay life, had a home, that's why they're called householders. He came to the Buddha and said, We are householders who indulge in sensuality, delight in sensuality, enjoy sensuality, rejoice in sensuality. For us, renunciation seems like a sheer drop-off. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> Yet I've heard that in this teaching of the Buddha, the hearts of even the very young monks leap up at the thought of renunciation, grow confident, steadfast, and firm, seeing it as peace. So right here is where this teaching of the Buddha is contrary to the great mass of people. That is, this issue of renunciation. 
So in the time of the Buddha, this, this question was also up. You know, what's this about? What do you mean we have to renounce sense pleasure? What is this, what is this about? This, the the um, sense or the use of this um, word that renunciation seems like a sheer drop-off. I think that's very evocative. You know, it's like, you mean I have to give up sense pleasure? It feels like stepping off a cliff, you know? It's like, this is where my happiness comes. We... Um, so much of our happiness in our everyday lives comes from sense pleasure. So we have, you know, a strong... It has a hold on us in a way. And we can't imagine what it would mean to have happiness if we don't have sense pleasure. Because they're so tied up for us. You know, we... We um, go through our lives, and when we get things that we like, get rid of things that we don't like, you know, when we, we surround ourselves with a situation that is what we'd like it to be, we feel some happiness. And so we don't how we could experience happiness apart from having sense pleasure. So the desire for sense pleasure has a pretty strong hold on us. So believing, when we, as we believe, which we believe because we are so conditioned in this, that you know, it, it's, it's our life, the way we live our life. We get what we want, we feel some happiness. That's, you know, that, that comes. And there's no question that happiness comes with some sense pleasure. And then, you know, the next thing we do as that happiness or that sense pleasure fades, it's like, well, where was the last time I was happy? Well, the last time I was happy was when I had sense pleasure, so let's find some more sense pleasure. Let's find some way to control the situation so that I have the things I like around me. I don't have the things I don't like. So we believe that sense pleasure will make us happy. And... Because of that, it conditions, in a way, it conditions this desire. And it's really, it's the desire that's um, where we get caught. It's the desire for the sense pleasure that keeps us hooked. And I'll go into that in, in, a, little, in a little while, a little bit more. So because these two, the happiness and sense pleasure, have been linked in our minds for so long... You know, we can't, we can't fathom that there might be a happiness apart from sense pleasure. And the fact that um, there actually is a happiness apart from sense pleasure is not something we've actually experienced much until we start meditating, until we start exploring what it might mean to um, allow things to be instead of creating a world where things are hope- hopefully the way we'd like them to be. So in this exploration, we begin to touch into a happiness that is separate from sense pleasure. But until we start this process, this practice, it's really unfamiliar to us. So the Buddha, in responding to this uh, um, householder, when this householder came to him, his response was, so it is, so it is. 
Even I myself, before my awakening, when I was the unawakened bodhisattva, I thought, renunciation is good. Seclusion is good. But my heart did not leap up at the thought of renunciation. (laughs) Okay, we're in good company here, you know. (laughs) Even the Buddha... (laughs) And, but he went on, you know, he didn't stop there. He didn't, he didn't just say, you know, well, this is... A, he didn't either give himself a hard time and say, well, I, you know, renunciation is good, let me, you know, beat myself into renunciation. And he didn't give up either. He began thinking about it, exploring it. And this was his exploration. The thought occurred to me, what is the cause, what is the reason why my heart does not leap up at renunciation? doesn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it at peace. Then the thought occurred to me, I haven't seen the drawback of sense pleasure. I haven't understood the reward of renunciation. I haven't familiarized myself with it. That's why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation. And so he explored this question, what is the danger of sense pleasure? And in this exploration, he he really offers us a teaching, a three-part framework in which to explore this question of sense pleasure. And there are three words to this teaching that frame this teaching, this, this framework. The three words are gratification, danger, and escape. So this first word, gratification, the Buddha suggests that we start this exploration by recognizing, acknowledging that sense pleasures bring us happiness. Start where we are, essentially. You know, this is, this is the truth. We do experience happiness with sense pleasure. So the Buddha suggests, well, let's start there. Let's look at that happiness. Let's get familiar with that happiness of sense pleasure. So in observing, understanding, exploring that, and, and I'd like to suggest that you may want to play with this. You know, it's actually, it's actually an interesting exploration to begin to explore what is pleasure? How do we experience pleasure? There's, um, you know, some of it, some, some of sense pleasure has to do with the physicality of things. You know, there's the, the physicality of pleasant food or pleasant um, um, clothes or, you know, so pleasant sense contact or pleasant smells, pleasant sights, that kind of thing. So there's that aspect of, of sense pleasure. And that's, that's some of what we um, find pleasure in. And we also, it's interesting to also notice at times when we are experiencing pleasure, it's actually not as much about the sensual aspect of it as it is our idea about it. So, for example, you know, if you got, if you got a new car, you know, you, you might be, um, you know, happy having a new car and driving your new car around and, you know, the car drives nicely, it, you know, doesn't have any rattles or anything, you know, so there's some pleasure in the driving of the car, you're driving the car around, and, and you may experience some pleasure in that. 
in the actual, you know, the quietness of the car. It's like a really well-insulated car or something. And so there's, there's, some, there's some sense pleasure in that having of the car. But if you actually look at what is it that makes you happy, a lot of it is actually in our minds. It's the idea of what this car represents that makes us happy. So it's not actually the thing itself. It's an idea of what it is. And this is really interesting to start to see just how much of our happiness is generated just because we're thinking about something and not so much about what's actually here right now. So in exploring sense pleasure, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. The other thing that I want to just point to here because, um, you know, in talking about sense pleasure in the context of renunciation, people often, even though I don't say this, people somehow hear um, you're supposed to push away pleasant things. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. Um, I'm interested in exploring how do we relate to pleasant things when they're here. And actually, as we practice meditation as we begin to be more mindful, as we go out on a sunny day and, uh, you know, just greet the day without being lost in our thoughts, feel the breeze on our face, hear the birds, we will experience sense pleasure because we are present. So this, um, it's interesting to explore that kind of sense pleasure also. That kind of sense pleasure actually comes because we're present and, and may not have any clinging to it at all, any holding to it or any sense of desire for it. It's more the, the pleasure comes because we're actually available and not contracted or... Um, trying to hold on to anything. So there's a way in which our mindfulness practice brings us more pleasure. And so, no, we're not supposed to be pushing that away. So exploring it, understanding sense pleasure. When is it this kind of sense pleasure that comes just because we're present? When is it a kind of sense pleasure that we're grasping after? So the Buddha is asking us to understand, observe sense pleasure, and he in particular suggests we look at how long does the sense pleasure last? The words he uses are, with respect to the gratification around sense pleasure, just how far does that gratification extend? So this is, this is another question for us, another exploration. As we start to actually look at our pleasant experience, we see it actually is pretty fleeting. You know, it comes and goes. We hold on to it with our thoughts. You know, the, a lot of the ideas that we have um, are part of the way that uh, we think that Pleasure is, is, is lasting longer because we're keeping telling ourselves, oh, I really love that car, I really love that car, I really love that car. Yeah, that car, that car makes me really happy. That car makes me look good. That car makes me, you know, what is it? It's, we we, we um, have an image of ourselves around 
certain things that we like. And that's part of what we're holding on to. So it's not so much about the sense pleasure as it is about our identity around things. So in looking at the pleasure itself, in looking at sense pleasure itself, how long does it extend? How, how long does it last? And the Buddha had some analogies about sense pleasure. He said, he said, suppose a man dreamed of lovely parks, lovely groves, lovely meadows, and lovely lakes, and on waking saw nothing of it. So too, a noble disciple considers, sense pleasures have been compared to a dream. They provide much suffering and much despair while the danger in them is great. So here he's saying that, you know, in the dream, in the dream, there's, you know, this, the pleasure of the lovely parks, the lovely lakes. And as soon as you wake up, they're gone. So it's, it's pointing to the fleetingness of the sense pleasure. Now the danger he refers to, to them they provide much suffering, he says. They provide suffering. So sense pleasure, how does sense pleasure provide suffering? Well, first it provides suffering in the, the fleetingness of it. You know, that as soon as it goes away, there's a, a feeling of being bereft of loss. And so there's a sense of, you know, I've lost something. I need to get something back. So th- the loss of sense pleasure can produce you know, some degree of suffering. Now, suffering's a strong word here, but the word is translating the Pali word dukkha, which is a broad word. I mean, it, it, it doesn't mean necessarily great, massive suffering. It means as subtle as unease or dissatisfaction or a sense of offness. Things just aren't quite the way I'd like them to be. And so this um, sense of, you know, sense pleasure disappearing on us all the time, this contributes to a sense of, well, things aren't the way I'd like them to be right now. The danger in sense pleasure is that we, um, we continue to, um, you know, because, because we have so many times in our lives found happiness out of sense pleasure. You know, the, the danger with respect to sense pleasure is tied up with the, um, the notion that happiness comes from having what we want. And that that's the only way that happiness comes. It basically ties us to... Uh, having to keep trying to get more and more sense pleasure. As sense pleasure disappears, we want another hit of sense pleasure. I'll talk more about the danger in just a moment. So the Buddha also compared sense pleasure to borrowed goods. He said, you know, suppose, suppose you were, uh, you know, oh, here, I'll read it to you again. Suppose someone borrowed goods on loan, a fancy carriage and fine jeweled earrings, and preceded and surrounded by these borrowed goods, he went into the marketplace. The people seeing this person would say, that's a rich person. That's how the rich enjoy their wealth. Then the owners would take back their things. 
What do you think? Would that person be dejected? So again, you know, it's, it, what he's pointing to here is that sense pleasures aren't ours to hold on to. And that, that the, the misunderstanding or the misappropriation of sense pleasure, that it's something for me to have and to hold on to, is where the suffering comes in. So there's a misunderstanding we have about sense pleasure. This misunderstanding that we think that our happiness comes from creating a life where you know we don't we don't actually believe that sen- that we can hold on to sense pleasure forever. You know, I think most of us know that things change at some level. But we do think that what happiness would be would be to line up one moment of pleasure after another just so that and no moments of unpleasant that that would be happiness so this this is this is actually not possible and it creates a sense of suffering because we you know in finding that we can't do that and nobody can do this Nobody can arrange their lives to be nothing but pleasant experience. It's not possible. In, fe- in, in being told over and over again, and you know, in uh, advertisements and the whole culture, it, it tells us, this is the way to be happy. Get what you like. There's this one advertisement. I've, I've, I've seen, I don't have the text here, but it's... it's uh, this guy was sitting in front of a Ford Explorer, I think it was a Ford Explorer, and the Ford Explorer was surrounded by a bunch of stuff. And uh, the, the key tagline on this copy was, uh, in order to be one with everything, you have to have one of everything. <laughs> this is the message we're getting. In our culture, you know, and it is, it is a misperception. It's a misunderstanding of how life works. So in having that misunderstanding, if we believe that that's really the way to happiness, then when it doesn't turn out that way, we feel like a failure. We feel like we're doing something wrong. Why me? What am I doing wrong? Why, why is this happening to me? It happens to everyone in different ways. It happens to everyone. So we don't need to avoid the pleasure of, of gratification. You know, we don't have to push aside sense pleasure. But begin to explore pleasure in your experience. Begin to look at it. See, how does it come into being? What, it, what are you finding pleasure in? Is it actually in the thing itself? Is it in the thoughts around it? Where does the pleasure come from? And how long does it last? And notice those kinds of pleasure that come as we're just more available to be present in our experience. So as we explore this 
gratification and just look at how, how far this gratification extends, we begin then to understand the danger a little bit more clearly. So this is the second part. I've talked about it a little bit, but I want to go a little bit more into how it works or what, what this danger in sense pleasure is. So the main danger connected with sense pleasure is this misperception that having what we want that having pleasant things surrounding us is what's going to make us happy. It's like we, we um, based on this misperception, based on this idea that having what I want will, be, will make me happy, then we somehow feel, you know, it's, it's like we, we get what we want for a little while, and it's like, this is as good as it gets. You know, we can't even fathom there might be another kind of happiness. So this being caught, the danger with respect to sense pleasure is intimately connected with the desire for fulfilling the need to get what we want. It's not so much in the sense pleasure itself it's more in the fact that we, we're, we're launching ourselves forward to try to get what we want over and over again. It works something like this. There's a moment of happiness when we get what we want. There's that sense, yes, oh, things are good, okay, things are good right now. And that lasts for a certain length of time. And when that fades, we end up wanting the next thing. As we observe this process over and over again, actually notice the wanting associated with sense pleasure. As we start looking at the desire itself, you know, when you want something, actually this is a great thing to explore. Try this. Maybe tomorrow, try this. Find something that you want. I mean, you know, just sometime you, you'll want something at some point tomorrow pretty much guaranteed. (laughs) So, you know, pick something pretty mild, like, you know, a candy bar or, you know, something like that. You know, something that you want that you can see that you could do without it. So when you notice that wanting come up, pay attention to the wanting. The wanting obscures, I mean, the wanting is often obscured because we're so focused on the thing that we want. We are projected into the future, how great it's going to be when we have that thing. So we don't really pay attention to the wanting itself. So if you can, just play with, what does it feel like to want something? Not, let yourself, this is where renunciation comes in. Let yourself renounce acting on that wanting. This is essentially what the renunciation is about, what the foregoing is about. It's foregoing, acting on wanting. If you play with that, play with foregoing, acting on wanting, one time tomorrow, and just see what it feels like to want something. It doesn't feel very good. The moment you want something, the moment wanting appears, there's already a sense that something's wrong. Already a sense of lack. Already a sense that 
there's something off. I don't have something. So the wanting, the very wanting itself is a a state that has some struggle, some suffering, some offness to it. So notice that. Notice that feeling of wanting. A large part of why we want to get what we want is to get rid of that feeling, that unpleasant feeling of wanting. And we can only imagine that the only way to get rid of that feeling is to have what we want. That's what we've learned, as I said, over and over again. We, we've, we've seen, you know, we get what we want. It feels good. And it feels good for two reasons. It feels good because we have the thing that we want. And it feels good because the wanting has stopped. And actually, as I've explored this wanting, explored the feeling of wanting directly in my experience and seen the wanting disappear, it feels like being released from a vice grip. You know, it's like the the wanting is a slave driver. It's like, get this thing, get this thing, get this thing. So the, the wanting itself, when the wanting goes away, it brings a great sense of release. Even a sense of happiness, if you can be really present for it. You can be really present for the moment that wanting disappears and that vice grip disappears. It's like, oh, wow, that feels good. That's nice. And you didn't have to get anything. It was a letting go. A letting go. So exploring the wanting... in your exploration, if you explore this tomorrow, probably you won't see the moment that wanting disappears. More likely what will happen is that um, you'll be wanting something and if you play with this, you, you may turn and pay attention to the feeling of wanting for a little while. And then your mind will get off on something else and then you'll forget about it. You, know, you forget, forget that you wanted that thing. And maybe two hours later you'll think, wow, you know, that candy bar, that, you know, that just disappeared from my mind, you know. So you'll see, you'll see how it's possible to let go of the wanting or to let go of the wanting, not act on it. And then later realize, oh, it wasn't actually necessary to follow through on that wanting. You may not actually see that kind of feeling of release from a vice grip that I described. You probably won't. I saw that on a three-month retreat. You know, so th- that it, was, it was pretty um, deep in meditation when I was able to see that. But I, ex- I tell you that because it's, it's so clear to me that the wanting, the letting go of the wanting is actually the greater part of the happiness that comes when we get something. You know, that, that the, the, the fact that the wanting goes away is the bigger, biggest part of the happiness. And we don't have to have the thing to have that happiness. So 
So as we observe this process, the wanting, the sense pleasure, we observe the sense pleasure, we observe the wanting, we see the sense pleasure doesn't last very long, we actually get familiar with the sense pleasure that's fleeting and beautiful. And we're not clinging to it. We're not trying to hold on to it. And we get familiar with the kinds of ways that we try to grasp after things. We start to understand that it's not sense pleasure itself that's the problem. It's the wanting that is where we're stuck. And that wanting, that fact that we've acted on that wanting over and over again has conditioned us to want to want. And that's a hard cycle to break. It's a very hard cycle to break. We can begin by exploring the wanting a little bit. And as we do this, as we explore this and, and begin to see that when the wanting goes away, the suffering goes away, the struggle goes away, we begin to understand the drawbacks of the desire. We begin to understand those drawbacks. So as we understand the danger of sense pleasure, we see really the danger has to do with the clinging to sense pleasure, the attachment, the craving for it, not the sense pleasure itself. And with that, seeing how as wanting lets go, the suffering goes away. As we see that, we begin to understand what the escape might be this third part of the teaching that the Buddha offered, the, the escape with respect to sense pleasure. We see that it's the letting go that allows that, the transcending, the escape, I understand to mean a transcending from. It also is interesting as we explore mindfulness and begin to practice meditation and sit in silence, we may experience some, a little bit of concentration, a little bit of the pleasantness that can come with sitting silently. And we begin to understand that there may be other kinds of happiness than having what we want. This is another thing the Buddha pointed to. He said, Having understood, as they really are, the gratification, the danger, and the escape in the case of sense pleasures, I abandoned the craving for sense pleasures. So notice here he says he abandoned the craving for sense pleasures, not he abandoned sense pleasures. I abandoned the craving for sense pleasures. I removed the fever of sense pleasures, and I dwell without thirst, with a mind inwardly at peace. I see other people who are not free from sense, lust for sense pleasures, being devoured by craving for sense pleasures, burning with the fever of sense pleasures, indulging in sense pleasures, and I do not envy them. Why is that? Because there is a delight apart from sense pleasures, which surpasses even divine bliss. Since I take delight in that, I do not envy what is inferior. So he's actually pointing us to the possibility of a better happiness. 
this exploration around letting go of the wanting of sense pleasure helps us to understand and see where a a greater happiness will be found. Another quote, this is from the Dhammapada. If by forsaking a limited ease, one would see an abundance of ease, the enlightened person would forsake the limited for the sake of the abundant. So this takes a little bit of a leap of faith initially because like, that, like I said a little while ago, you know, we're, we get what we want, we construct our world to have what we want and get rid of what we don't want and we look around and we feel like, well, this is about as good as it gets. You know, this is, this is as good as it gets. And we don't see yet. It's like, you know, we're on a hill that's surrounded by fog we're at the top of a hill and we look around and we seem like we're at the top. Yep, this is the best it gets. But the fog is obscuring a higher hill over there. So we, we don't see it because we don't, we don't understand that yet. So it's a little bit of a leap of faith to say, okay, you know, and, and what, what do we have to do? We actually have to go downhill to get up to the next hill. So there's, there's a time when it takes a leap of faith to um, engage with this, to explore. There, there's a times in practice when, you know, you, we really want to indulge in sense pleasure. And, you know, I'm not going to say don't do that, but see what happens as you do that. You know, notice the wanting, notice the craving. Notice how that makes you feel. This is the, the great thing about this practice. We don't have to stop. Well, we're asked to not harm we are asked to, to not harm. But besides that, if you're engaged in behavior that's not harming, you can explore it. You know, I had one of my teachers, um, Michelle McDonald, talked about a time on a retreat when she, she, had, she got this big candy bar and she really wanted to eat this candy bar. And so what she decided to do was sit down one day and really mindfully eat the entire candy bar. And it was a big candy bar. And she got really sick. (laughs) But she very mindfully looked at the whole process of the wanting, you know, the putting, the pleasure of the taste, the wanting for the next bite, even before that next bite is, the first bite is finished. You know, the, the way that we reach for the next hit of pleasantness before the last one is even faded. So we don't have to go without a moment of pleasantness. So the Buddha is actually pointing to that there are greater kinds of happiness to be found. He's, he's saying, you know, renunciation actually will lead us. If we let go of sense pleasures, we open ourselves to the possibility of greater kinds of happiness. If we let go of holding to sense pleasures. It's not the letting go of sense pleasures. It's letting go of the desire for sense pleasures. Because if we navigate the world with mindfulness, we will experience quite a bit of sense pleasure. So I'd like to suggest that we can explore this notion of renunciation not by an outright rejection of sense pleasure, but more by this exploration of what is sense pleasure? How does it feel good? What, how is it gratifying? 
How long does that gratification last? Is there wanting? What does that wanting feel like? So play with it. Play with the renunciation. Play with the foregoing. This willingness to engage in this exploration is the process that will support your understanding of how the wanting is holding you, is, is, is uh, keeping you entrapped. And I'll close with a quote from Bhikkhu Bodhi about renunciation. The Buddha does not offer as a solution the method of repression of desire. The tool the Buddha holds out to free the mind from desire is understanding. Real renunciation is not a matter of compelling ourselves to give up things still inwardly cherished, but of changing our perspective on them so they no longer bind us. When we understand the nature of desire, when we investigate it closely with keen attention, desire falls away by itself without the need for struggle. So that's the exploration. Not trying to force or repress desire or to push away sense pleasure. So I've talked the whole time. Thank you for your attention.